This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Tax the rich. That's a phrase that has become increasingly mainstream and popular in recent years. The call to tax the proverbial rich has only grown stronger in a post-pandemic world. But who are the rich exactly and why do we need to tax them? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Today I Learned. Let's start by talking about the rich. Now, we often use the word rich loosely based on our personal experiences, like how we may have a cousin who could afford private school while you had to attend public school, or your friend's family who can afford to travel overseas once a year while you may not be able to. Now, this certainly highlights various levels of privilege and inequality as well but they do not paint an accurate picture of what's going on in society at large. So let's put things into perspective. Now, the average income in the US in 2018 was about $46,800 a year. If this person spent no money at all, it would take them over 21,000 years to accumulate 1 billion, just 1 billion, And if you wanted to make as much as Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, whose net worth is about $150 billion, it would take the average income earner in the US about 2.8 million years of work. This is the kind of obscene amount of wealth concentration we are talking about. Here's what S. Arun Chelvan, Deputy Chairperson of Party Socialist Malaysia, had to say. Actually, Marx used to consider the ruling classes. If you look at the billionaires during the slave age, the fellow who who has the most slaves is the billionaire then, you know? Right. So that is the ruling class, the slave owners. And then during the colonial period, of course, the country which invades, go and exploits most of the poorer nations, uh, the rich countries are glorified. Right. You know, but they bring sufferings all over the world. The feudal kings who go, go and invade another country, so this, these are the ruling classes according to Marx, you know, the slave owners, the feudal kings, and in today's world, of course, the capitalist class. So in, in Marx's terms, like we have the ruling class and you have the state, the right. people who control the state. But today, even the state is being controlled by billionaires in, in many countries. If you look at elections, hmm. if you look at the big spenders in elections, where do they get their money from? Of course, behind them, they are sponsored by billionaires. In, in that context, all the big political parties, if you look at even in the US, the Republicans and Democrats, they have huge funders behind them. And, and it goes same to Malaysia, that politicians actually uh, get funded and that's how they use the money to buy votes. You see, if today you look at the big-time billionaires, they are the owners of Amazon, Facebook, you know. Those days, you physically go and rob money, take money from the people, you know. You, you invade a country like Africa, you take the gold from there, and you become rich. Right. Today, it's done in different ways, of course. Today, you have uh, multinationals. You have uh, economic colonizations where, you know, big, big instruments like IMF, World Bank. So, in today's, today's world... Of course, the the current group of uh, billionaires are actually those from the capitalist class and they 
they could be seen as the monarch because they control everything. To put things into perspective, here's a local example. Like the big bank CEO, hmm. he, he earns 2.3 million monthly income. Right. Okay? And that works out to be 77,000 a day. <laughs> And in a day, in one hour, of course, nobody works for 24 hours, but for, for one hour, his salary would be 3,200 an hour. <laughs> so it will take a cleaner who's getting minimum wage 174 years to get the one month salary. You know? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, we are not talking about US, we are talking about Malaysia. Right. Eh? right. If you look at Malaysia today, Uh, income per capita is actually the total uh, GDP divided by the population. That means a person in Malaysia should be earning monthly 13,700 ringgit. Imagine a family of five. So you have to be, they'll be earning at least, you know, uh, 60,000 ringgit or more than that a month. But that's not the case. That means a family normally would be earning maybe 5,000 a month, husband, wife working maybe 6,000, maybe 10,000. Even if they earn 10,000, that means 50,000 is going somewhere. You know, someone else is is having that money. Now, these are facts you simply cannot run away from. Here's more. The richest 1% grabbed nearly two-thirds of all new wealth worth $42 trillion created since 2020, which is almost twice as much money as the bottom 99% of the world's population. Now, this is according to Oxfam. During the past decade, the richest 1% had captured around half of all the new wealth created. Also, according to Oxfam, the world's 2,000 plus billionaires have more wealth than the 4.6 billion people who make up 60% of the planet's population. The 22 richest men in the world have more wealth than all the women in Africa. So the question is, what can we do about this immoral and unfettered concentration of wealth? Well, of course, one of the most important measures is progressive taxation. But what are taxes in the first place? Here's what Ng Zifong, research officer at REPSA, had to say. So taxes are charges that are imposed by governments on peoples and businesses. Uh, its main purpose is to raise finance for government spending, which is on public goods, marriage goods, administration, welfare benefits and subsidies, as well as the common good, as we will discuss later. The revenue from taxation is also used to reduce inequalities in the distribution of income. Darshan, there are actually two types of taxes, which are progressive and regressive in nature. So taxation is not inherently progressive. It also has its regressive taxes. Uh, so progressive taxes are such as... Uh, income tax, in which when income rises, the proportion of the total paid in taxes increases. And we also have regressive taxes, which are value-added taxes on the retail sales of many goods and services, in which that as income rises, the proportion of total paid in taxes falls. And perhaps the most important tax we have to understand is income tax. So what's income tax? So income tax is actually tax which are imposed annually on individuals, which receive income in respect of gains or profit from a business or employment. So it is regulated by the Income Tax Act of 1967, which enforces the administration and collection of income tax. In Malaysia, the corporate income tax rate is 24% in general. So income tax on uh, personal individuals 
it's on a progressive basis in which the rate is 0% on chargeable income, not exceeding 5,000 ringgit, and 30% on chargeable income exceeding 2 million. So we compare this to our geographical neighbor, Singapore, which offers the lowest in individual tax rates in the world. Uh, Singapore tax residents are taxed at a progressive rate of 0% to 22%. Progressive taxation is essentially a component of a much bigger picture. So progressive taxation is essentially what we use to ensure that the average income of all Malaysians or all people in general who are facing progressive taxation systems are more or less equal. Although they might not be equal, but they, the disparity between them can be minimized. Right. So, for example, if you are earning less than 5,000, you might not get uh, income tax yet. But if you're earning more than uh, if you're earning more than 2 million, you might get a 30%. So we try to minimize the gap between uh, these classes. And with the money collected by taxation, we use them to fund uh, social safety nets. We use them to fund subsidies, which will benefit the public. For example, uh, Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim has also said that if there's no subsidy, the inflation will increase by almost tenfold. So tax as a concept isn't progressive in and of itself. If taxes are taken from people with more means, um, for example, the more you earn, the more you pay for the collective good, it's progressive. But say something like a GST, that's not a progressive tax model. Why? Because in the simplest term, everyone will be paying the same tax for a particular product or service, regardless of how much they earn or have. For example, if you eat at a restaurant, it doesn't matter if you're earning 50,000 ringgit a year or 5 million ringgit a year, you will be paying the same amount of taxes on that bill which you ordered at the restaurant. So does progressive income taxes help to improve people's lives? Progressive income taxation, um, it does contribute to reducing income inequality in terms of uh, taxation and income transfers are directed to the poorest segment of society, which is, a best, which is the best way to keep inequality in check and reduce poverty in the short term. However, these instruments are uh, particularly uh, appropriate where the benefits of growth fail to reach the poor. But they are really too small to make a difference. For example, cash transfer, pro cash transfer programs are, uh, are good at reducing poverty in the short term, but it may not accelerate growth in any major way, uh, except by giving them more resources and uh, allowing them to survive in for, for a short term. So what I am of the opinion is that directly investing in opportunities for the B40 is essential. Transfers to the poor should not consist merely of cash. They should also boost people's capacity to generate income today and in the future. Education and training as well as access to healthcare, microcredit, water, energy, and transportation are powerful instruments. For example, Let's say Malaysia has a free public transport system. It will be very convenient for everyone. And it is very fair for people who are taking the public transport on the way to work or anywhere else. So social assistance is critical to prevent people from falling into poverty traps. We do need to go for a very quick break now. After the break, we discuss capital flight and how to deal with it. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned, I'm Dashran Johan, and on today's show, we're talking about taxing the rich. So, one of the regions in the world known for their highly progressive income tax rates is Scandinavia, which consists of the likes of Sweden, Finland, Norway, Denmark, etc. 
Their high taxation is used to fund public programs and initiatives or what we call the common good. Here's what you can learn from them. So, Scandinavian countries are generally well known for their broad social safety net and their public funding of services, such as universal healthcare, higher education, free scholarships, parental leave, and child and elderly care. So, these will necessitate high levels of public spending, which requires high levels of taxation. Uh, in Denmark, uh, according to the latest figures, Denmark's tax-to-GDP ratio was at 46.3%. Norway is 39.9%, and Sweden is at 42.8%. These Scandinavian countries tend to levy top personal income tax on the upper middle class as well, not just the high-income taxpayers. For example, in Denmark, the statutory personal income tax rate of 55.9% applies to all income. As we can see, Scandinavian countries does provide a, a broader scope of public services, such as uh, uh, universal healthcare and higher education, than most, more so than other countries. However, such programs will definitely require a much higher level of taxation, which is re reflected in their tax-to-GDP ratios. So common goods are goods which are accessible to everybody. Uh, common goods are defined as uh, institutions, facilities, constructions, etc. As long as it can be used by members of society and are not privately consumed by specific individuals, it is considered as a common good. So for common goods to be able to exist, uh, in most cases, payment of taxes is needed as common goods are socially beneficial and everyone is interested in satisfying some considered what we consider as basic necessities, such as transportation, as we have mentioned earlier. As the government is commonly the agent who drives the expenses to create common goods, the community must pay an amount in exchange to use these common goods. I think common good is um, more or less taken for granted in Malaysia. For example, we have roads and we have public transport, but we also have subsidized petrol. But the majority of Malaysians do not know how we can maintain such low levels of pricing for public transport as well as for petroleum uh, in which they use. Uh, so these are things which are taken for granted on, on a daily basis. But looking at the macro picture, these subsidized items are actually paid for by government, by government revenue. So for 2022, the government has allocated approximately 77.7 billion in subsidies to ease the rapturous cost of living. This includes a wide range of items and services, such as uh, chicken, eggs, cooking flour, electricity and transport, which can, can be considered as common good because it is accessible to everyone. So more or less, um, we need to know that, we need to understand that this comes from taxation and we should be more appreciative of taxation as a means of reducing income inequality. Zifong suggests that another country we can look at is Slovenia. Let's take the lowest inequality country, for example, which is uh, Slovenia. Slovenia has the lowest Gini coefficient. Gini coefficient is in essentially the indicator for income inequality. So it has the lowest indicator of income inequality uh, among the OECD countries. So it ranges for, from between 0 0.23 to 0 0.27 for most of the last three decades. So the closer it is to zero, the, the higher the the higher the wealth equality in the country. So the comparative equality of uh, the Slovenian society is mostly a reflection of the social transfers and pension systems, since without them, the inequality will be considerably higher. 
Slovenia did not just get into low inequality status just because of its taxation system. Mm. So, for example, for personal income tax, they have a net average tax rate of 33.6% in 2022, which is also higher than what Malaysia is having. So it is significantly higher. So, but what differs them from Malaysia is that they do, the government does redistribute this uh, revenue from taxation into their social security system. And this greatly helps uh, people who are facing poverty to pass the poverty line and reduces inequality. But here's the thing. We cannot solely look at all of this from an income tax lens alone. When it comes to calculating how rich someone is, there is income and there's also wealth. And remember, the problem at its core is the tremendous concentration of wealth by a handful of people in society, perhaps the top 1% or the 0.5% and above, aka the ruling class. And they're not paying their fair share of taxes proportionate to how rich they are. Why? Because we do not have a wealth tax or a proper and progressive way to tax wealth in Malaysia and in many other countries around the world. We do not have a wealth tax in Malaysia. And that is the problem because these people who are earning so much more from shares and whatnot are getting exponential increase in their in, in their wealth. And to say that this is uh, unfair would be, would be correct. I think a wealth and post wealth tax would be a powerful tool to re- restore progressivity um, in especially Malaysian income and wealth distribution. It would increase the tax rate of the wealthy people who can currently escape the progressive income taxation by realizing a little income relative to their true economic income. So uh, by imposing a wealth tax, they would not be able to escape uh, what they are earning outside of government regulation. But the question is whether we should impose the wealth tax as a one-off or whether we should impose the wealth tax on an annual basis. In fact, when I had a discussion with PSM recently on Budget 2023 that was announced by the Unity Government, Sivarajan Arumugam of Party Socialist Malaysia stressed the need for a wealth tax on billionaires. The government should really introduce the wealth tax, uh, which is very crucial. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially, we started off with the billionaires, actually. We have more than 50 old people who who are billionaires. A lot of them also make it to the Forbes uh, international financial list. Right. Uh, so we should start a wealth tax progressively, um, taxing them from 2% and up. So that would also increase a lot of government revenue. They should seriously look into uh, a specific wealth tax uh, uh, for the billionaires. Even the windfall tax, I think there was only a one-fall, uh, the one-off time they did right. the windfall tax. So they should introduce these things again. And this will actually increase, especially when the government is saying that it is um, really, its hands are quite tight in terms of spending, you know. You know how a Malaysian national healthcare system is under tremendous strain? Some might even say a crisis right now. There aren't enough public hospitals and the government cannot afford to pay its healthcare workers proper wages. Well, according to Oxfam, getting the richest 1% in society to pay just 0.5% extra tax on their wealth over the next 10 years would equal the investment needed to create 117 million jobs in sectors such as elderly and childcare, education and health. 
Now, some fear that taxing the rich is a form of punishment and that this methodology will only stifle innovation and growth. But this isn't based on anything factual. The reality is there's a difference between those who innovate and those who own these innovations. Take some of the COVID-19 vaccines, for example. The real innovators are the scientists, the researchers, the medical professionals, um, the people in R&D, hundreds, maybe thousands of people who slogged day in and day out in science labs. They are not the rich the rich are people who own the vaccines and the companies. They are the people who placed patents on vaccines and told poor countries that if you cannot afford to buy the vaccines, we are not going to give it to you, although we have abundance. They would rather let people die to protect their IP and profits than share the vaccine. Of course, Owners and innovators aren't always mutually exclusive, but I don't think people draw this distinction enough. On the flip side, another example to counter the whole profits are the only thing that motivates people to innovate. Um, the polio vaccine, for example, was invented by Dr. Albert Sabine. Um, he co-founded the Chiron Corporation. Now, he did not patent the vaccine because he believed that vaccines were a public good and should be made accessible to everyone without financial barriers. He did not do it. He did not invent the vaccine simply um, thinking about getting rich or protecting his wealth. In fact, most of our innovations, um, if you look at the telephone, the internet, GPS tracking systems, didn't happen because of the profit motive or the so-called free market, but because of collaboration between the public and private sectors under the direction and leadership of the public or government. With all of that in mind, I think it's incredibly clear that we do need some form of wealth tax to build a more equitable society that would enable the masses, the majority of the people, to live with dignity. So why don't politicians do it? Well, for one, there's just the fact that many political players are simply not pro-rakyat. They've been bought over a long time ago by the tremendous powers of the rich. Their economic and political power, which is usually allocated to rich taxpayers, often allows them to lobby for lobby to prevent fiscal reforms, which would increase their tax burdens. So, for example, uh, for example, when we see the minimum wage, when we try to increase the minimum wage, big companies will say that, "Oh, we are we are no longer uh, wanting to invest in Malaysia, or we will no longer be opening in Malaysia because the the price of uh, doing business is so high." So. These companies have the position to lobby and also to force the government to not, not exploit uh, the progressive income tax satisfactory. But even the good politicians in many countries struggle with this because of something called capital flight. You see, countries, especially countries in the global south, rely so much on FDIs, which is foreign direct investments, for their growth. So if, say, Malaysia tries to raise corporate taxes or introduce wealth taxes, there's always the worry that the rich would just run to another country that's offering lower taxes. So it becomes a race to the bottom. Hey, come to my country and invest. We will lower our taxes. So how do we combat this problem? Having an international tax corporation would definitely be beneficial to prevent capital flight. So uh, I give an example of... Uh, the OECD. So the OECD 
has introduced the base erosion and profit shifting uh, or BEPS as an international taxation standard. Uh, the plan consists of 15 actions to address these issues. So Malaysia in particular, in principle, has committed to implement and adhere to this OECD standard. Under this commitment, Malaysia has officially joined the OECD inclusive framework, the OECD IF, on the base erosion and profit shifting as a member. So one of the key action in which I would like to point out is that Malaysia is committed to countering harmful tax practices more effectively and in which the identification of low preferential rates, low preferential corporate tax rates, or so we call as preferential regimes, which can be categorized as harmful tax practices, it will not be possible. So it focuses on improving transparency through the exchange of information on tax matters and the requirement of substantial activities for any preferential regimes. So Malaysia does adhere to this international tax cooperation and Malaysia is committed to ensure that there is no capital flight from uh, Malaysia to other countries. Well, that's all the time we have for today's show. As usual, if you missed any part of this conversation or would like to listen to other episodes like this, do check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. Before we end, I will leave you with a clip from Bernie Sanders, a senator in the US who recently wrote a book called It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. This clip is from Bernie Sanders' interview with Russell Howard. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. The people on top are really obsessed with greed. Look, it's understandable. Everybody wants to have more money, you want to live a good life. That's natural. We all do. But if you have $5 billion, do you really need to step on people in order to get another $5 billion? How much money do these people need? Yeah. And then you... What, it's not just inequality in terms of money. These people use their money to maintain their power and the status quo, and they're very smart at it. So in my country, at least, you have billionaires owning the media, and you have 90% of the American people getting media from eight multinational media conglomerates. And they frame what we're supposed to be outraged at. All right, mm. So, you know, somebody walks in, some kid walks into a store and robs the store. And we say, that's a terrible thing. That's criminal activity. And God knows in my country, there's too much gun violence. That's terrible. But what about, Russell, think about this for a second. The CEO of an oil company or a coal company that knew, who knew 60 years ago that carbon emissions we're going to have a devastating impact on the planet. They were told that by their scientists. And you know what they did? They lied. Mm. They said, oh, well, we don't really know. There's a debate going on about what, the, what carbon emissions will do. They lied. We have drug company executives in America who are raising prices, and, and we pay far more than you do for prescription drugs, but are raising prices so high that thousands of people die each year because they can't afford the medicine. What do we call those people? If a kid walks into a store and robs it, that's a criminal. I think these people are bigger criminals, and we have to deal with that reality. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.